you will, take your Bibles, take a Bible app, something that gets you to the Word of God, and open up to chapter 15 of Luke today. Uh, we're making our way through it. Uh, and so in our passage last week, Jesus laid down some very serious commitments regarding what it actually means to be his disciple, a true disciple. Uh, and, and I'll remember that first commitment very well because after church this last week, uh, Laura had gone on uh, ahead of us and the rest of us loaded up into the car to go home and Berkeley just says joyfully, family, I hate you all. And she's right if you were here and listened to it. Within context, that makes good sense because Jesus is uh, using that terminology last week we looked at right, that if you want to be my disciple, you've got to love me even more than your family, and, and so it makes sense. The other two commandments, though, or commitments that he's talking about last week are to carry your cross and to renounce all that we have. And he says all these very difficult, hard things, right? Because the crowd of, of potential disciples, those who are following him, those who want to be disciples on some level, needed to know that being a disciple of Christ is a lifetime commitment, a lifetime, uh, a, 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 quite a task on some level, right? Now, Christ gives us the power for it, but there's, it's, a, it's not a light thing that we commit to. And so this week, uh, Jesus has a message then for, for the cold-hearted Pharisees that are also standing there and listening to all this stuff. It's all part of the same conversation, the same event in history as it's, as it's unfolding. So we're picking up right there. Um, and, and, and namely, what we're going to see today is that God cares for and God shows mercy uh, to the lost. What we're seeing is that, that Jesus will seek and save sinners like you, like me. Uh, and, and as you'll see in, in, in just a moment, though, we're going to see that, that Jesus receiving sinners, right, physically in his presence at this moment as he's teaching, right, that, that's going to work the Pharisees up into a bit of a tizzy. It's going to get them upset. And, and then we're going to see Jesus respond to their tizzy uh, by sharing these three parables with them. And we're just looking at the first two of them today. So let's, let's just get right to the word. Um, Luke 15 and we're going to read it in two sections. So we're starting with the first uh, seven verses to start with. Uh, Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep... If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he, had found, when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to absorb what you will teach us in this passage about lost things, lost people in your pursuit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. 
So like I was saying before, at the end of chapter 14, Jesus laid out the, just how great a commitment he's, he's calling people to be to when he calls people to be his disciple. And, and you kind of hear that and you kind of expect at that moment that, that the crowd's going to thin out and they're going to start disappearing. We, we see this in other places, right? They're just going to wander off because this commitment so much. Kind of like, uh, I'll never forget the first time I saw a Tesla uh, car years ago in a mall, inside the mall at, at, in Dallas, and I thought, oh, oh, I want one of these. Uh, and, and then I wandered over where I could see the price tag. And, and once I saw that, I just wandered off to the Lego store where I could actually afford something. That's kind of the expectation you, you think is going to happen when they hear this kind of thing. But, but apparently the crowds, even the sinners and the tax collectors, right, uh, they weren't wandering away. They weren't driven away because of that, that large commitment that Jesus is talking about. Because the very last thing that we see in verse four, or chapter 14, you see it there? He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what's the very first thing we see here in chapter 15? It's that the tax collectors and the, uh, and the sinners are drawing near to Jesus. And why are they drawing near? It tells us right there, it says to hear him. These are those with the ears to hear. Now, these are kind of strange categories that Luke uses admittedly, right? Because one's a profession and the other is, is, well, at least in the sense that the Pharisees are here using it, is, is an insult to those people. It's a way of really putting them down. Now, Tax collectors were despised in this culture because they collected money from their own people, from fellow Jews, and then they took their money and they would give it to the Roman authorities, and they were even more considered uh, just disliked people because they would take more money than they needed in order to make themselves wealthy. They were getting rich off the backs of their own people, and so they were viewed within the culture as terrible traitors, uh, and they were viewed as just spiritual outcasts. Those people are unholy. We want nothing to do with them. We're going to put them over there. And so uh, then when the Pharisees use this term sinner here, right? We think of it as a theological term. But what they're talking about when they use it here is that these are the notoriously wicked, evil people, uh, right? The bad people who have rebelled against God's law, yes, but also who have rebelled against the pharisaical laws that they have created. And so these people are also outcasts. Uh, here we're talking about thieves, drunkards, prostitutes, criminals uh, of all sorts. Now, we hear that list, and maybe you understand it, but it's probably not hard for us to come up with our own list to, to, make, to modernize this in some, some way, right? Uh, it'd be the same list, but we'd begin to add things like drug dealer and gang member and abortion doctor and makers and distributors of pornography uh, and that guy that lives down the street that you always hear yelling at his wife and a whole list of other, right? You know, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you're probably going to put on that list a, a, a whole bunch of your own personal prejudice that you're dealing with. Uh, and, and so what we see here then is that the, the Pharisees would, would stay as far away from these people as possible. These types of people wanting nothing to do with them. They avoided them like the plague. Uh, and in fact, we, Laura and I kind of experienced this in the, in the cemetery this morning. We're walking around and uh, there's a lady coming at us and we're going to pass by each other maybe five feet next to each other. Uh, and instead of walking past us, she goes 10 feet out into the cemetery uh, and takes this huge route to go around us. Uh, why? Because she's, she's worried we might have COVID. Now, I can understand that now. I'm not really calling her out for that. Um, you know, from her perspective, I might have the plague. So I understand that, but it still feels weird. And as it's happening, though, I'm thinking that's, that's a little bit of what it's like for, for these tax collectors, a little bit of like these sinners. Like you are just, you are diseased and horrible and I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to avoid you in every aspect. 
Now, one rabbi at the time even, even taught this. He said, let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him to the law. And so the Pharisees understood this idea. We have nothing to do with them. What's the old land of time, long necks, don't play with three horns or whatever it was. Um, but that's not the way that we see Jesus minister, is it? Not at all. Jesus calls to repentance both the upstanding people in that society who, who seem to have their life together, but Jesus also calls to repentance those who you might consider an absolute mess, those who are so openly wicked and immoral and, and, and don't have their life together. Jesus calls them to repentance and faith in him as well. And you see, that's the real rub that's going on in this passage between Jesus and the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees see Jesus receiving sinners as, as this moral laxity. As though Jesus, you know, Jesus, you don't take sin serious enough if you're going to interact with those people. You're too soft on depravity, Jesus. That, that's kind of their, if they're going to put it in some theological terms of their ob objection. Now, in, in verse 2, when the Pharisees say, this man receives sinners and eats with them, that's not a compliment, now, it should be, but it's not a compliment. And because and Jesus, you know, is doing this, though, because he knows that he needs to have a relationship with sinners if he's going to be helping them, if he's going to be drawing them to himself where they need to be, where they will find salvation. Now, the other question here in this passage for us is, is, is why do the sinners and the tax collectors even want to draw near to Jesus? Why? And the reason is, it's, it's because instead of just holding out judgment to them, it's not that he says what you're doing is fine, let's just dismiss it, God didn't care about it, but instead of holding out just their judgment and condemnation like the Pharisees are doing, Jesus is holding out an offer of forgiveness. He's holding out a, you know, there's hope for a, a new life, a different light, life, no matter what your current life or past life looks like. Jesus doesn't just shame them for their failures, for their sin, which is very real, right? But he calls them to repentance. He calls them to forgiveness. He calls them to himself. And that's what Jesus, uh, that's what Jesus is holding out to every single one of us because all of us are, are sinners, no matter how much you might have your life together uh, by most of our standards. So then we can learn something here. We, we can learn to seek out people, truly, even those who are notorious, you know, on the notorious sinners list, to, to seek them out if we're doing so with true gospel intentions, not, not just a friendship for the sake of friendship, but a, uh, seeking them out knowing that these people need to hear the gospel and, and you can share that. So anyway, that's kind of the setup of what's going on here. And so the Pharisees, they're in this tizzy. They're complaining about Jesus. Uh, and in the beautiful way that our Lord often does, instead of just responding them, instead of just, you know, going back at the Pharisees with cruelness, um, in, in a, you know, that he actually responds to them in a way that, that might dig into their hearts, putting down roots, and, and, and call them out of that self-righteousness, call them out of that cold-heartedness. Now, what follows then are these three parables, uh, a lost sheep, a lost coin, uh, and a lost son. They're very similar parables, making the same point for the most part, same basic point. And God finds that, uh, that God finds those who are lost but belong to him, and the Lord rejoices when they are returned, when they are found. This is how God has always worked, right? It's not even new to Scripture that we see this. And um, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, right? He got a book named after himself. In Ezekiel 34, 16, he, he said, God says this, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. 
And we know that in Luke 19, a few chapters ahead of where we are right now, that, that Jesus is going to make that famous statement of his, right? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, right? Luke 19.10. And, and so we've already read here the first parable. Now, uh, how many of you can remember what the first parable is? Do you have memories that long? You're thinking, I remember it being something about something. Yes. Uh, here's what's going on. You remember. Good job. Uh, a shepherd has a hundred sheep. That's what he has. And one of these sheep goes missing. We're not told how it goes missing. If it, if it just wandered off when no one was looking. Or uh, if a sheep kind of rushed it off or carried it off or dragged it off. Uh, but what we do know is that the 99 other ones are safe where they are. Presumably he's going to leave them under the care of someone else. And, and go and look for this one sheep. And uh, which is important because... We understand that the sheep is lost, and sheep do not handle wilderness very well, right? They do not handle the wild. They don't survive on their own. Now, we recently got a, a new puppy. It's a chihuahua. It weighs two pounds. It's tiny. His name is Goonie, and he's absolutely adorable. But if we put him out in the field in our backyard, he wouldn't survive half an hour. Not a chance of it. Something would eat him. Maybe ants would carry him off. Um, he's that pathetic. He has no ability to actually defend himself. Now, sheep are like really big chihuahuas. They simply cannot defend themselves out in the wilderness. In fact, have you ever heard a, a, a sheep growl? What's it say? You can say it. Not the scariest threatening growl you've ever heard, right? Um, that's a sheep. It's not scary. To a, to a wolf, he sees a sheep, and what he sees is a box of, of chicken nuggets, tasty food. That's what we're going to have here. Now, if something doesn't eat the sheep, it's also not real smart to find its own food. It'll be all right for maybe a little while, but eventually it's going to starve to death because sheep are not created for living life without a shepherd, which is a great picture of us, really, isn't it? Apart from the Lord, who is our shepherd, lost in the wilderness, we're going to get devoured or we're going to starve to death. Things are not going to go well for us. And so remember, uh, or you don't remember back during a Pastor's Appreciation Day, it was, uh, I think, October. It was back when uh, we didn't have to social distance. I don't know if you remember that world. Uh, but y'all gave me this massive jar of peanut M&Ms, and we take it home. Uh, and, and when I was stuffing my face with those one day, one of them dropped on the ground, and it, and it rolled away. And full confession, and uh, Laura can probably attest to this, having found it later. Instead of going to look for this, this M&M, I, I kind of looked at the big jar of, of M&Ms and just shrugged my shoulders and was like, hmm, oh well, I have a lot more. That was my attitude. A, a shepherd with a hundred sheep what was considered quite wealthy. That's a lot of sheep, okay? Uh, he could certainly afford to simply shrug his shoulders and be like, eh, it's one sheep, it's fine. But what we find is he actually cares for this one sheep. He cares for it deeply because it was his sheep, because it was lost. And this illustrates for us how dearly the shepherd loves even one wandering sheep under his care. Even one. And so the, the shepherd seeks and saves his lost sheep. Now, can you picture this, this rescue? The strong shepherd actually takes this sheep and lifts him over his shoulders and puts him over his head and puts him on his shoulders. And you've probably seen the picture. They put their legs together and hold them uh, uh, together on their chest in order to, to begin that walk home. And, and this points to what Jesus is doing, right? What he's really doing. Jesus, the, the good shepherd, is the fulfillment of, of what God declared back in that same chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, 12 through 11 now. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. 
As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that, they have been, uh, that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. He seeks out not one though, right? He seeks out every lost sheep. Uh, for as Isaiah 53, 6 tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Only for Christ, it's uh, to rescue us. He had to do a bit more than simply carry us home on his shoulders. He had to suffer in our place. And that's uh, that same verse I just read, Isaiah 53, 6, that, that begins with those words, all we like sheep have gone astray, ends with the words, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you can see it all together. That verse is on the back of your bulletins today. Um, and the iniquity of us all, that actually occurs on the cross as Christ goes to the cross, cross. So this parable then not only gives us hope, uh, not only gives hope to the lost sheep, but it also gives comfort and assurance to the rest of the flock. I don't know if we realize this. Listen to this. Kenneth Bailey says, it's the shepherd's willingness to go after the one that gives the 99 their real security. If the one is sacrificed in the name of the larger good of the group, then each individual in the group is insecure. He knows that he is of too little value. If lost, he'll be left to die when the shepherd pays a high price to find the one, he thereby offers the profoundest security to the many, to the rest of them. And you notice in uh, verses 6 and 7 of our passage, you notice that the shepherd doesn't shame the sheep. It's an important thing to see. He doesn't say, I, I, I hope you know you ruined my whole day, sheep. I had to leave what I was doing and go find you. You put me in danger coming out, out here. Whole day wasted looking for you on the mountain. He doesn't shame them. And in fact, we see quite the opposite. He, he calls his brothers, he calls his neighbors, and, and, and he tells them, hey, come, come celebrate with me. I found that sheep that's lost. She's, she's home, she's safe back at the, uh, you know, let's celebrate. And, and then Jesus makes sure that we understand that what he's talking about isn't just sheep, but it's a parable of the picture of the rejoicing that happens in heaven, uh, that occurs in heaven when Jesus finds a lost soul and through the gift of faith brings her safely home to the family of God. And we'll see this again in the next one, and we'll see it again in the one after that of these parables. But, but first, you, you might have some question about that last phrase in verse 7. It's a, uh, a good place to ask a question because it says this, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It raises that question, is, it, is there really a group of people that are just righteous? Right? The Pharisees are standing there. They certainly think so. Is Jesus saying that the Pharisees are indeed righteous? That they don't need to repent? Not at all. That's not at all what's being said. Jesus is speaking, speaking ironically here. There, there's no joy in heaven for the righteous who has no need to repent because there is no such thing as a person who does not need to repent. It doesn't exist. Acts 17.30 tells us God commands all people everywhere to repent. All people. And Romans 3.10 is crystal clear. None is righteous. No, not one. There's no exception. Right? Yes, yes. Jesus is the exception. But that's, that's excluded there. But, but there are people who think they are righteous. In fact, those are the same people that Jesus in this moment is speaking to, these Pharisees, right? You, and you see, what, what's happening here is, is for all that Jesus is doing to draw them out of their self-righteousness, uh, in this instance, Jesus is taking a jab at the Pharisees, right? A verbal jab. And if you think that God loves you because you in and of yourself are righteous, this is a jab at, at you or I as well. 
You see, all people need to repent. All people need a Savior. Now let's keep moving. We're going to look at the second parable. And you might notice some similarities between these two parables, right? They're very similar. They're, they're twin parables, but they're fraternal twins. So you can actually tell them apart. Um, so let's go ahead and read it beginning in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she does lose one, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found that coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, uh, in those days, a woman would have kept her money, these coins in, uh, in this kind of chain thing around her neck or in a, uh, a pouch where it's kind of all tied up in a knot so things can't get lost. Uh, but yet, somehow, some way, she has indeed lost one of her coin. Now, the coin mentioned here is a drachma, which means it has, uh, it's explained as having a value of one day's labor. And because it's explained that way, it kind of makes it hard to put a modern uh, day cash value on it. So I'll do my best though. A substitute teacher today makes in and around about $100 a day uh, to do so. So we're thinking something in that range of $100 is what's been lost here, um, which as far as I'm concerned is a good amount of money. It makes sense to be looking for this. Now, you've probably lost something in your house and you can understand the frustration that you feel, that someone feels as they begin to look for something, looking everywhere they can think of. In fact, someone probably asked this woman that super obvious question that's never helpful. So where did you last put your coin? Surely that happened. Now, that doesn't help because the, uh, the floors at this time were usually made of dirt. They were usually covered in straw. Uh, there were some people with nicer houses that had flagstone that created these cracks in the, in the stone that something could roll in. Uh, either way, rooms were incredibly dark because they either had no windows at all or if they did, it was a tiny little window uh, that let only a sliver of light in. That's the reason she goes to the trouble to light this oil lamp uh, to search for it and eventually she does find that. At that point, she invites her friends over to rejoice with her. And, and, uh, right? and, and the Greek word here for friends is, is actually a feminine word because she's calling her girlfriends over to celebrate with her. Now, it must have been missing for some time. You get this from her response. Because she tells her friends and her neighbors in verse 9, I have found that coin that I had lost. The assumption is, oh, you know about this coin that has been missing. Now, am I the only one who reads this and, and on some level thinks that lady is weird? Because if I lost $100 in my house and I found the $100, I would be excited. I would tell Laura, I would tell our kids, hey, I found the $100. Uh, but that would be the end of it. I'm not going to be calling you up and telling you, come to my house, we're having a party because I found $100, right? Um, I, it's just not what's going to happen, right? If you get a phone call from me and I'm like, I've got the $100 and I've got Peabody turned up to 10 on the, on the speaker, come on over, we've thrown a party. That's just not going to happen. You know, and, and if my neighbor came and wanted to invite me to a party like that, right? You know, Laura, Stacy called. She wants us to come over because she found a coin, uh, right? And she'd be, why are we going to the neighbor's house? And I just, because she's weird. I don't know. She found a coin. Like, this is all so weird to us. And, and then I kind of step back and think, if, if you know, I wonder if this fictional woman in Jesus' parable heard that, that I wouldn't call my neighbors, that I wouldn't rejoice with those around me, would she be thinking, that guy's a psycho? He doesn't rejoice enough. 
And, and on some level, isn't that kind of the point that, that, that he's driving us to? Not necessarily about the coin or the sheep, but, but the rejoicing at the salvation of others, right? Because what we're seeing here, like in the parable before, before this, this shows us, one, the great love that God has for lost sinners. It shows us how precious we are to the Lord. It shows us how much God and his angels rejoice when, when, when Jesus redeems the souls of his people and when, when he or she who is lost is found by the Lord. As Philip Ryken writes, he says, what a, what a joy it is when Jesus finds you in your lost and helpless situation, when you respond by repenting of your sins and receiving the free gift of eternal life, what a joy that is. So, so did you notice then that Jesus also here equates repentance with being found, with salvation? And you kind of wonder why, right? Well, well, because he who is found, or who is found but the one who knows that she is lost. And who is it that repents except for the one uh, who knows that he is indeed a sinner in need of repentance. Now there's a few more things that kind of finishes the parables. There's a few more things I want to show you here in this passage and then we'll finish up. The first one is this. Really the, the main focus of this passage, this story, it's, it's not the sheep and it's not the lost coin. The main focus that we're seeing in this passage is, is the shepherd, is, is the woman who passionately seek after what is lost, who right equates to God in this parable. In that way, Jesus is, is showing us, he's showing the, the, the grumbling Pharisees, right, as well, that, that God loves his lost people and he will go to incredible lengths to find them, to return them, to restore them. And so listen, in a, in a way, we, we join the mission of our Lord. Um, we, we join him on this mission of recovering the lost, not because we're the ones actually doing it, but he invites us, he calls us into this mission. Uh, the mission of the great, or with the great commission is where we see this. Go therefore and make disciples. And again, of course, it's the Lord who does the redeeming from beginning to end, not us, but we are invited, we are included to share the gospel message. And, and, and from that position, we actually get to see God work. We, we get to observe the love of God working through the Holy Spirit as God brings people of all sorts, all sorts of background to repentance, to faith. Some who are good, decent people, by whatever standards you might label that, but also others who are just notoriously wicked sinners. Now, it would be so easy for us to be as cynical in our thoughts as we see the Pharisees are in their thoughts here, believing that, that God only loves us uh, and people like us. That's who God loves. Thinking that, you know, some people are just beyond saving, that they're, they're, just, they're just too messed up. What's the point in even talking to them about Christ? What's the point in even having a relationship with them? And thus it would be so easy for us to be unwilling to get involved in people's lives and people's problems, unwilling to get messy because their sinful life is messy and it's going to make us messy. So, so let's learn here, really, let's, let's learn here that there's a, a compassion in our Lord that, that we can grow in, to be like our Lord. Let us learn here to seek the loss with the gospel, remembering that every lost sinner who has ever been found or ever will be found, including you, has a very different story, and, and yet we all get found in profoundly different ways, and these are glorious stories, right? Um, you know, Stucky's story is different than Craig's story. Uh, Jeff's story is 
different than Lindsay's stories. Corey and Peggy and Anna and Rich. They, uh, you know, all the rest of us have different stories in the way the Lord has, has found us and brought us to himself. And still, whenever and wherever and however Jesus finds us, we, we all share the same joy to, to have been brought home into the house of our Father, right? We, we share the same joy to have been loved by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so re- remember that our, our hope for salvation is, is not that Jesus loves us because we're good, decent people, but that Jesus is merciful and forgiving and redeeming and restoring and can change us no matter where we have come from. Jesus is like the good shepherd. Jesus is like the persistent widow or widow woman. Jesus goes through the the physical and the emotional pain of the cross to seek and to save the lost. And, And what do we contribute? Do you know what you contributed to your salvation? You're like the coin. You're like the sheep. You you got lost. That's, that's your contribution. But, but again, the Lord our God delights to love you. He does. Has it ever occurred to you, in fact, that, that God sought you out? You might not have seen it that way, but that God was seeking you out to, to rescue you, right? If your faith's in Christ, that's just true. It's not just this open invite sort of party. Uh, he actually pursues you, pursued you. I mean, how does that make you feel that, that when you believe in Jesus, or, you know, believed in Jesus, when you first repented of your sin, when your faith, when faith first sprouted in your heart, how does it make you feel that at that moment in, in, in heaven, among the Lord your God, among the angels, there was rejoicing because you have been found? I don't know if we think of that much. And so let us also be people who rejoice when God seeks and saves lost sinners. You know, may it, may it never be said of us that they rejoice too little. We, we long for that. Now then, if you learn nothing else in this passage, learn this. First, the lost are worth seeking. The lost are worth seeking. And second, the redeemed are worth celebrating. Because it's a work of the Lord that he's done. Finally, I want you to look at our passage again. You got it open. Look back to verse 2. If we change one word in this, this verse 2, it, it changes everything. It, it currently, it really reads in scripture, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Eats with them. Now, if, if the Pharisees loved God and loved their neighbor like the Lord calls them to do, if, 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 if we could do that like he calls us to do, uh, it, it, we would change one word, the word grumbled, take that and replace it with the word rejoiced, and, and the whole thing becomes a very different statement. Then it would read, the Pharisees and the scribes rejoiced, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Our, our Lord Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. For that we can rejoice and, and we can be eternally grateful. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we, we gather to worship you because while we were once lost and, and you have found us and redeemed us, 
For, for some of us, this occurred at a young age so that we don't even remember being lost. For others of us, it was a memorable rescue later in life, and we still know in both instances, there was great rejoicing in heaven when you found us, when you redeemed us, when you rescued us, when you brought us home into your family. So make us people, Lord, who seek out the loss with the hope, lost with the hope of the gospel. Make us people who will rejoice when you find others. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.